0: Job 10 on page 423, 1 through 22, so the whole chapter of Job chapter 10. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord's Prayer together. Heavenly Father, as we open up the Bible this morning, our first prayer is that you would give us the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit so that we can understand what's written here. That's always our prayer. We want to understand your word and we ask that in humble trust. We also ask that you would enable us to apply the teaching that you have supplied to us through your word. Father, help us to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. We don't simply want to allow these, these words to pass through our, our eye gate and our ear gate and then we walk out and uh, never think about them again. Father, instead, we ask that you would plant them in our minds and hearts able, and enable us to recall them in, in a time of need and also enable us to live, live them out. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is back to school time. Uh, the schools are open, the buses are running. If your children have need to go to school, they're, they're in school by now. And college students also, if they've graduated from high school and if they're going to college, then they're at school by now. They're... They're on their way, and so it was with a young woman named Ellie who went to college for the first time. She, she went and she stayed in the, one of the freshman dorms with a roommate. She'd never had a roommate before. She'd always had her own room at her house um, when she lived back home, and so this was a new experience. And she, she met her roommate, and they seemed to get along, and since they didn't really know anyone else on campus, they decided to go exploring. So they took their schedules, and they went to all the different buildings, and found out where their classes were so they didn't have to hunt for the first, on the first day. And they went to the cafeteria, and they ate meals together, and they quickly were starting to become pretty good friends. And then one day, Ellie noticed that uh, some of her makeup was missing. She couldn't find it. She asked her roommate if she'd seen it. Her roommate denied it. She said, no, I haven't seen anything. And Ellie looked a little bit longer, but then just decided to forget about it. It remained a mystery. Who knows? Maybe it fell down behind a heavy piece of furniture or something. She wouldn't worry about it. After about a week or so, Ellie noticed that $20 was missing out of her purse, And she confronted her roommate and asked her about it. And her roommate became angry and defensive and said, I am offended that you would accuse me of stealing like that. Of course, Ellie backed down and said, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. I just, there's nobody else has been in here and I just wondered how this is happening. And so, again, she decided to let it go. She thought, well, maybe I put it in my coat pocket or or maybe it's in a pair of jeans somewhere and I'll, I'll find it later. And then one day Ellie was walking back to her dorm room and she saw her roommate coming, walking with another person and she didn't see her until the last minute. She said, hi. And as she said hi, she noticed her roommate was wearing one of her necklaces. And so Ellie went right back to her dorm room and sure enough, her necklace was gone. So she went to the RA on her floor and she said, I need a new roommate. I can't can't live with her anymore. The RA asked her why and she said, I can't trust her. I can't trust her. She's lying to me. She's stealing from me. I have to have a new roommate. And because of that incident, Ellie developed some trust issues, as we can well imagine. She was a few degrees more wary of strangers than she had been before. It took her a little bit longer to trust new people when she was introduced to them than when um, she had had lived before this incident. We understand how that works. I I think maybe we've all experience something like that before. Trust issues are formed when there is a bre- breach of trust. When someone uh, lies to us, or they, they fail to follow through on a promise, or they uh, steal something from you, or they you uh, w- once your friend and then start treating you like an enemy. We wouldn't be surprised if after some of those things happen, we would develop some trust issues. And this is how Job was interpreting his suffering from God. Remember, Job, from his perspective, can't make sense out of what is happening. From Job's perspective, it seems like God once treated him as a friend, but is now treating him like an enemy. Now, of course, that's not true. We know the rest of the story. But from Job's perspective, in the moment, as he's living in real time, that's how it seems to him. And so we see the beginning uh, seeds of trust issues starting to form with Job. Maybe some some doubt, some confusion. In fact, at one point in Job chapter 10, it is as if Job uh, calls God out and he confronts him about something that he knows to be true. So like a lot of the chapters in Job, our task this morning is going to be to, to pick out and select the things that are true, the, the things that we can affirm theologically as, as right doctrine and sound doctrine. We want to pick those out, and at the same time, we want to reject the things that are, are clearly not right, sound doctrine. We want to be sure we, we, we correct where it needs correcting in terms of uh, how they're experienced and some of the things they say. We have to do this with Job sometimes. We have to do this with Job's friends quite a bit. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And finally, I want us to understand the big picture here. The big picture is this. None of us need to have trust issues with God. None of us need to have trust issues with God. You may develop trust issues with other people and for good reasons, but there is no reason to ever have trust issues with God. So let's go ahead and read Job chapter 10. through This is Job continuing. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you, to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man? or your year Years "'as a man's ears, that you seek out my iniquity "'and search for my sin, "'although you know that I am not guilty, "'and there is none to deliver out of your hand. "'Your hands fashioned and made me, "'and now you have destroyed me altogether. "'Remember that you have made me like clay, "'and will return? Will you return me to the dust? "'Did you not pour me out like milk "'and curdle me like cheese? "'You clothed me with, the, with skin and flesh "'and knit me together with bones and sinews.' You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart. I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift my head up. Lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace, and look at my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion, and again work wonders against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your vexation towards me. You bring fresh truths against me. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me, and were as though I had not had not been carried from the womb to the grave? Are not my days due? Then cease and leave me alone, that I might find that may find a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return. To the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness. So this is is Job's continued outpouring of of words to God. And we see in the very first uh, verse, I loathe my life. This tells us that Job is not in a good place, spiritually, mentally, physically. If you remember from last week, recall at the end of chapter 9, Job's only hope was that if God would provide an arbiter, a mediator, the daysmen in the ancient East, if if only we had somebody as a buffer zone between between me and God, Job said, then I might have a chance. But of course um, he doesn't have that arbiter. He doesn't have that referee. He sees none to act in that role. So he dives into deeper despair. I loathe my life. I loathe my life. In verse 2 we see since he has nothing to lose at this point he decides he's not going to soften his words he's not going to hold anything back he's going to speak unrestrained he will not self-muzzle he will pour it out, raw emotion and unrestrained speech let me know why you contend against me Job's asking God, will you please tell me what is it, what did I do doesn't the accused have the right to know the charges that are being brought against him? That's, that's Job's question. Will you please tell me what it is that I've done to deserve all this? And then in verse 3 he asks God a question. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands? In other words, he's saying are you enjoying this God? Is this, is this fun for you? Because it's not fun for me. This is not pleasant. Is it fun for you to make me your mark, to to lift up the wicked and instead of the righteous? That's how it seems to Job. That's what it appears to come across to Job. Verses 4 through 7 says, Do you you see as man sees? And then we see some other questions that that Job is asking. Are you like man? Is, Is God like man? Do you have eyes like a man? Do you see like a man? In other words, are are you like these these three friends of mine, like Bildad, Zophar, has? Are you like these three that are coming to me? They can only see my suffering and conclude he must have done something wrong. So Job is asking, God, are you like men? Are Are you now searching for my iniquity? Even though you know I'm truly innocent. He says, you know that I'm not guilty. And yet Job has no deliverer. In verses eight and nine, we see a confrontation, and it begins by Job describing how God created him. You, your hands have fashioned and made me. You have now, and now you have destroyed me altogether. So, on the one hand, God is the creator of Job, and on the other hand, God is the destroyer of Job. And Job is saying essentially, "This seems kind of counterproductive to me. You, you took all this care and into." Pouring me, me and creating me, and, and now you're just going to destroy me. How does that work? Why, why are you doing that? And now will you return me to the dust? Again, how does that make sense? If we see the description of creation in the womb, pour me out, curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh. These are poetic descriptions of, of creation in the womb. God made Job the object of his steadfast love, he preserved his life, he cared for him, and now all of a sudden he's going to destroy Job. Remember, Job has not read ahead to chapter 42, okay, so he does not know he's going to be restored. From Job's perspective, this looks like the end. This looks like something that you don't come back from. He believes he's in his final days before he's going to die. So, it doesn't make sense to him. It doesn't make sense that God would create him and pour all this care and steadfast love and time and then to just go ahead and destroy him. And then in verse 13, we really see the heart of the confrontation. It says, yet, these things you hid in your heart. I know this was your purpose. He's saying, yeah, okay, God, you created me. You you love me. And yet, you knew you were going to do this the whole time, didn't you? I know you did. Because your purposes are eternal. And and Job Job has has understood this and and he's confronting God about it. I was under the impression that you loved me and that you cared for me, but all along you were going to bring this suffering and calamity on me. All along you are going to take away my children. In a single day. You're going to strike me down. These are words of hurt. They communicate a feeling of betrayal. Doesn't make sense. And we see the beginning in Job. We see the beginning seeds of some trust issues. So, let's be clear. Not, not that Job does not trust God on a fundamental level. He, his trust in God remains, in, as we're going to see later in chapter 13, even if God were to kill him and destroy him right now, he still trusts God at a fundamental level. What I mean by trust issues are the seeds of of doubt. So it's a misunderstanding, some confusion over the purposes of God. God, from Job's perspective, had treated him as a friend, but now he's treating him like an enemy. That's what he's seeing. That's what he's experiencing. So we see the beginnings of some trust issues, some pretty major trust issues. If you think about it, if God did act inconsistently, and he does not, but if he did, how could anyone trust him? If he acted one way at one time and another way at another time, that that would not be uh, someone you're going to put your trust in. But in this, we also see a type of Christ. We also see Job acting as a type of Christ. Remember, we said we were going to see shadows of that throughout the book of Job. Here's another one. Job created, cared for, born, raised under the favor of God and then all of a sudden struck down and extreme suffering was brought on him and God had planned it from the beginning. In the same way, Jesus was born of a woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a woman, raised, cared for by God, loved, and then at the last minute, extreme suffering culminating in the cross and it was part of God's plan all along. So we see some, some quiet whispers of, uh, of Jesus within Job's experience. Verses 14 and 15, no escape. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. So this is Job saying, uh, fair is fair. If I have sinned, if I have deserved something, if I have done something to deserve this, then okay. I get it. Fair enough. Woe to me! But I haven't, and that's what's bothering him. And, and he said, I, "I cannot lift my head. I'm filled with disgrace and look at my and look at my affliction." Job cannot live confidently as an innocent man because he's been struck down. And then he goes on to say, even if I did, even if somehow in 16, even if my head were lifted up, he would hunt me down like a lion and again work wonders against me. He's saying, if by some chance I happen to pull this off and and make it through, if by some chance I happen to be restored in the eyes of of the community members, if by some chance I kind of work back to the place where I, I was before all this happened, It's it's worthless for me. It's it's a no-win situation because you're still going to come after me. You're going to hunt me down and work your purposes. There's there's no escape. Verse 17, some would call this the, the climax of the chapter, Job's central complaint against God, threefold. Number one, you renew your witness against me. Not only do his three friends continually witness against him they continually are, are calling him to, to give up the innocent act and declare his guilt but everything about his situation is declaring to a watching world Job is guilty anybody around that can look at Job, at Job and see what happened kind of, kind of puts their distance between him, saying, I'll, I'll stay away I don't want any of that to spread to me you obviously have done something wrong and God is bringing judgment on you so you renew your witness against me. Number two, you increase your vexation towards me. Vexation meaning anger. Anger. With every sharp pain that jolts his body, with every dull aching pain that never goes away, with every memory of his dead children, with every breath he draws while sitting in the the ash heap or the junk pile or the garbage dump of the city, he is reminded that God is angry and displeased with him. This isn't slow to anger. This is sudden and intense. Increase your vexation towards me. And number three, bring fresh troops against me. It never stops. It's unending. It it was like that from the very beginning. Remember when all this calamity fell upon Job, it was one thing after another. He got the news of of, of one thing. Oh, this is terrible. But while that messenger was speaking, another one came. Oh, another one. Oh, another one. And it culminates in the, the death of his children. Fresh troops, one thing after another. And then after all that, his body struck and his health is taken away. Ugh, fresh troops. And remember, earlier we looked at Job and it says, as, as soon as he started to heal, as soon as he started to think, oh, it looks like I might be getting better, it, it would erupt again. It, he would break out afresh with more soul sores, more sickness, more pain. Fresh troops. Day after day, new suffering, new depths of pain. And whenever he thinks sleep will bring him relief, at least if he could just pass out from the pain, maybe that would bring him relief. No, he's terrified at night by nightmares, night terrors, fresh troops, one thing after another. The suffering never stops. Well. As we might imagine, this concludes with some pretty dark thoughts. Verses 18 and 19. And again, if you remember, we said there was going to be some repetition in the book of Job. Here's some of that repetition. He has earlier expressed this thought of, it would be better if I had never been born. And that's kind of what he does here again. Why did you bring me out of the womb? It would be better if I had not been. So this is essentially the same lament that we saw in chapter 3. It would be better if I had not been born. Are my are my not, are not my days to you? He's saying, I don't have long to live here. This this can't go on forever. I'm dying. Leave me alone. Just give me a break before I die. That's all I ask, God. You you've bring all you brought all this upon me. Just just give me a little relief right before I die. Let that me be, be my gift from you. And then he closes with with these several descriptions of death, land of darkness and deep shadow, land of gloom, like thick darkness, deep shadow without any order, and then it's so dark that light is as thick darkness. So darkness, 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 that's why we call it dark thoughts. It's pretty dark thoughts. All about death. Job has some trust issues with God. It almost seemed like from his perspective that God was enjoying bringing these fresh truths of suffering and pain into Job's life, even though Job was innocent. And it really hurts him because all he's tried to do his entire life is to live rightly before God. That's, that's been his goal. And from his perspective, it seems like, well, what good did that get me? This is my repayment for my faithfulness to God? It doesn't make sense. And then the confrontation in verse 13, you planned this from the beginning. It was as if God stopped treating him like a friend and he started treating him like an enemy. And the kicker was that God had purposed it from the beginning. So some trust issues. Major trust issues, really. Really. He's trying to make sense of what happened to him in light of what he knows about God to be true and it's not matching up. It's not making sense. it doesn't add up. So we see at the end these dark thoughts of resignation of death he just wants to die and get it over with. So let's see if we can accomplish our purpose here. let's let's pick out what's true and let's let's correct what's false. So number one, we can affirm that God's purposes for Job were known to God from the beginning. That's true. That part is true. Verse 13, where he talks about, yet these things you hid in your heart, I know that this was your purpose. Yes, God's plans are eternal. God had formed him in the womb with a special car. God had shown him a steadfast love, all the while knowing that this would be a part of his life. All the while knowing that he was going to bring this and send this suffering upon him. Psalm 90, verse 2 says, before the mountains were brought forth wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God. God is eternal and unchanging. Ephesians 1, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Of course, this is this introduction uh, the opening chapter to Ephesians is talking about God's eternal unchanging will and is his, uh, the predestination of, of the elect. However, within this, look what we see. All things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything. Not just the election of the saints. So God is eternal. He doesn't change and God's unchanging will is eternal. We know that. Our old friend, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Q&A number seven, says this. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal plan based on the purposes of his will by which for his own glory he has foreordained everything that happens. So we want to say a strong amen and affirmation to to this right doctrine. Yes, God plans all things from the beginning. Yes, God did bring this suffering on him and he had planned it. From the beginning. It's true, and it's true for us also. All of God's plans for us have existed from eternity. And some of those plans include suffering and pain for all of us. Everyone, to some degree or another, experiences suffering and pain as they go through life. And it's part of His unchanging eternal plan. I don't know if you've ever played the, the best day, worst day game with someone. It's usually a way to get to know them a little better. I don't recommend playing in with somebody you've just met because you're going to have to reveal some really, really personal stuff. But if you've, you've known somebody for a while and you want to get to know them, you play this best day, worst day game. And as it sounds, this is how it works. You take turns, you tell them you're, the best day you've ever had and the worst day you've ever had. And the rules are usually... Along the lines of uh, weddings and birth of children, don't count because those are the easy ones, and everybody would pick those. So you take those off the table, and then you say, "Go ahead. What was your best day? And what was your worst day?" And so you can you can imagine, and you can think back in your own life if you had to pick your best day. You know, maybe maybe it was this this perfect day outdoors somewhere. Maybe, maybe you made it to the top of a hike and you, you looked over a vista and it was just so peaceful and so beautiful. And it was, a, it was one of your best days. Or maybe it was some personal achievement. Some accomplishment. Something you'd been working toward and planning and, and wanting so badly and then the day came and you finally did it. Maybe that was the best day. And then of course there's the worst days. You know, we all have those too. Maybe something really shameful happened. Maybe you're embarrassed publicly. Maybe you're in an accident. You know, car crashes, sometimes that's the worst day for people. Maybe a, a loved one died. I mean, we could go on and on, but we all know what it is. It's our best day and it's our worst day. And the thing is, those are the things that stand out. Every day in between as well, but they're, they're all from God. They're, they're all part of his unchanging will for our lives. The best day, the worst day, and everything in between. We don't remember the ones in between. They don't stand out. If we reviewed our life and we thought back, there are hundreds of days that are just gone. We can't remember anything about them. We remember the good days and remember the bad days. They stand out. And they're a reminder that everything is part of God's unchanging eternal plan. So we want to affirm that. Yes, God sends the good days and the bad days, and therefore His glory and our good. Number two, God's eternal purposes need not create trust issues for us. God's eternal purposes, that include suffering and pain, need not create trust issues for us. Now, this is where we need to depart from Job, because God affirmed, or excuse me, Job affirmed God's unchanging purposes that verse 13 confrontation, but it disturbed him. It troubled him. It did not sit well with him and he was having a problem with it. It seemed inconsistent. It seemed like God was acting inconsistent. It, it, it troubled him. So this is where we need to depart. For Job, it felt like God was was, tested, was uh, treating him like, like an enemy. When he, Before, he'd always treat, treated him like a friend. So, It created some trust issues. But for us today, armed with the full revelation of God, God's eternal purposes should not create any trust issues at all, even when they include pain and suffering, because God has shown us His greatest purpose in the greatest suffering. That's how we know we can trust Him. God has shown us His, His greatest purpose in the greatest suffering. And of course, I'm talking about Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus experienced pain and suffering according to the eternal purposes of God. Very similar to Job. He knew it from the beginning. Acts 2.23 This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That was the plan all along. That was part of God's purposes all along. Extreme suffering And pain. The crucifixion of Jesus shows us God's eternal purposes, even those that include pain and suffering, can be trusted. They can be trusted. We trust God with with the cross. And that's an extreme example. The cross is where God made provision for our sin. That's where God dealt with sin. As we sang earlier, Jesus paid it all. There is nothing more to be paid. We don't need to augment the work of Christ with our good deeds in order to get into heaven. That's false doctrine. But Jesus on the cross was treated like an enemy. Remember, that's one of the seven sayings on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you treating me like an enemy? Very similar to Job, except to a much greater degree. The greatest suffering accomplished God's greatest purpose. So what do we say to this then? We say this, God's eternal purposes, even those that contain pain and suffering, need not produce trust issues, just trust. Just trust. Jesus looked at the cross when it was imminent, it was looming before him, and he prayed, Father, not your will, but my will be done. He trusted the Father as he stared at a purpose that was going to be filled with suffering and pain. So, if Jesus could trust God's plan for him that included extreme suffering and pain, more than we will ever experience, then we could trust God with the purposes that he has for us. Have you ever had trouble trusting God? I hope not. But maybe you have. Maybe uh, outwardly you're you're verbalizing trust uh, when when encountering other people there's still a smile on your face and say, yep, I I know God's got this everything's going to be fine I know I'm going to make it through thanks for your prayers but then when you're by yourself alone in your heart maybe some doubt creeps in maybe some worry creeps in some fear or maybe even anger creeps in. Remember that God uses, often uses, greatest suffering for the greatest good. And that's true in our lives as well. When we're going through those dark times and we're going through the pain and suffering, God uses that. We don't have to see the outcome to trust Him with the outcome. And we'll close with this. We're we're gonna address one more thing in, in Job chapter ten that needs some some tweaking here and, and some clarification. Uh, Job ended with some dark thoughts. And he, he re- repeated what he had lamented in chapter three, and that was this. It was it would be better if I had never been born. And that's where we have to say, hold on a second, Job. That's not exactly true. Uh, we need we need to correct you here. That's that's never true. There would be better if we had not been born. God knows what he's doing. If we have been born by virtue of being born, then God has a purpose for us. God has a purpose. We were born to fulfill a unique and significant contribution to the kingdom of God. Each one of us has that. It will look differently for each one of us. No person's unique and significant contribution will look the same as someone else's. They're different. I think that's important to state. We shouldn't be looking at somebody else and say, yeah, that's what I want to do. No, that's not for you to do. That's for them to do. He's got something else in store for you. So it is not better if we had never been born. God has a purpose for each one of us. And those purposes have varying degrees of pain and suffering. Everybody. And we can trust him. He will not take us home until we have accomplished that purpose. That's a comforting thought. We're here because he still has purposes for us. We're not going to be taken home one second before our purpose has been fulfilled. So instead of feeling betrayed by God or instead of feeling uh, wrongly thinking about you know having trust issues or, or having doubt, worry, or confusion start to creep in or, or to wrongly think that God is treating us like an, an enemy uh, when we experience pain and suffering, no, instead we can trust him. We can trust him with our best days and we can trust him with our worst days and we can trust him with every day in between. In between. That's how it was for Jesus. That's how it was for Job. And that's how it is for us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. You show, have shown us most clearly uh, in your word, Jesus Christ. But you also show us uh, Christ-like types, like Job, who, who experienced suffering. And Father, help us, once again, help us take away and affirm what is, what is right doctrine. And also help us learn what was spoken by Job and his friends that's, that's not true. Help us to, to see from the rest of that your counsel, the rest of Scripture, what we should be affirming, what we should be taking away as true and right doctrine. And Father, this morning, that takeaway is trust. We can trust you. Father, we all have best days and worst days and we trust you one hundred percent with both of those. Whatever the outcome may be, we know that you have planned for your glory and our good. So help us this morning mortify any sinful thoughts of, of doubting your goodness, and if you, any sinful thoughts of of, of worrying of thinking that maybe you're not going to care for us. Father, let us, let us crucify those sinful thoughts and instead reaffirm, recommit, double down on our trust in you. Amen.